Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 62, After Creativation, recorded on February 1st, 2017. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. I was thinking 62 seems like such a lot of episodes, and yet I feel like we've barely recorded any. I think we... uh... We talk so much <laughs> that uh, uh, it just seems like a drop in the bucket to what we're actually talking about. I know. Motor mouth. Let's talk about first, since you made you entitled this after creativation, let's talk about creativation. So let's just talk about creativation as an idea first, which is to say uh, creativation is such a weird word. And like you were calling it CHA when we were prepping for this. And actually now CHA, the Craft and Hobby Association, is no longer the Craft and Hobby Association. On the third day of the show, they announced their new name, which I ho- I'm probably going to butcher it. I believe it is the uh, Association for creative industries or AFCI. It'll take me a while. It's going to take me a long time. In fact, I have to actually really think about it every time I'm like, what is it again? What is it again? Um, And they had all new, the people who work for AFCI came out with like new shirts. They had all new signage. I thought it was a little weird to announce it sort of mid-show. I felt like when they named the show Creativation, I was wondering why they didn't rename the organization at the same time or why they didn't do it after the show. I don't know. It was weird. Okay, so let's talk about the show. Well, no, let's talk about the thing about naming. Oh, okay. (laughs) If I may completely thwart your plans. Just because I actually think naming is a really important thing. I mean, we've talked about it before. What a lucky, lucky slash smart, I'd rather be lucky than smart uh, break it was that I named my blog Balls or Designs, which meant instead of, you know, like Julie Scrapbooks or something like that, right? And so the question I have is, where is the organization going? If this is the leading organization in the industry that I work in, I mean, and they're walking away from craft and hobby, and they're walking towards creative industries, does that mean that craft is a four-letter word? Does it mean hobby is is uh, not represented in the show any longer, which I don't think it is, by the by. I mean, it's just, it's an interesting question about, say, I think, sorry, determine- don't say interesting. <laughs> I know, we already had a whole episode on don't say interesting. It's an intriguing and compelling question about why they renamed it and what that may mean in terms of where they think, where they want to be headed and what that means for me as a person in that industry, if anything. I feel that it, they're turning more toward the manufacturers and less toward the practitioners. Because craft and hobby sounds like something that people who do craft and hobbies would be uh, attending. And it used to be that there were a lot more people there who were not buyers or manufacturers, but were actually uh, people who just love to do some of these things. And over time, the short time that I've been going with you, it has become less and less of those kind of people, more and more of the manufacturers and the buyers of from stores. And now using the word industries, I think in the name indicates that that's who, whom they want to service. Well, I'm thinking... 
that oh i mean i'm thinking that you're right that that's true but i also i mean it does make it seem more like uh they're trying to get towards what some of like NAMPTA does NAMPTA is the national art materials trade association You know, that they, I know they tr once did a joint CHA NAMTA event, and I wonder now, because uh, I got an email from uh, Prima, which is a paper flower company, that said they were going to be at NAMTA, and unless I'm very confused, that it's an interesting choice, that, or it's not interesting, it's an unusual choice that they're going. I know they have a lot more paint media these days. Um, but companies like Ranger, which do make paint media and other sort of craft paint companies don't tend to go to NAMTA where it tends to be more fine art material. So I'm wondering if there, if there's a merger in the works potentially or not, or who knows? Well, we'll have to watch and see. I do definitely think they're turning more and more toward the manufacturers and toward being a liaison between the manufacturers and the retailers. So the question is, does this mean anything for me, or is it just business as usual under a different name? Well, you, your interest now is as a person who works for manufacturers. So that piece of your career, I think, is steady on. I, I think we'll have to wait and see. I think they're struggling, just like in every other industry people are merging and you're getting instead of a lot of little places you're getting more giant places and we'll have to see if that holds true in this industry as well yeah i mean i think that i have no wait af yeah af c i no af what did i say it was association for creative yeah, AFCI. I think that AFCI has an issue, which is that it's an organization that's still very much run um, in terms of the manufacturers that are there by companies that have been doing this for a really long time. And sometimes those people, it's like a big cruise ship. It's hard to turn the direction they're headed in, you right, because it's such a big organization and they've been doing it for so long. So I'm going to be interested to see what happens and if they can listen to some of the new voices. Anyway, you wanted to move on. Let's move on. Let's move on and talk about your personal experience at Creativation. My personal experience of uh, Creativation was I had some excellent Italian food. Um, I, you know, before the show, I was really feeling wah, wah, wah about going, which I think I expressed on the podcast. And I didn't use the word interesting, by the way. I used a sound effect. I hope you're proud of me. Impressed. <laughs> um, sound effects are a valid way to increase your vocabulary, mom. Just Until so you know. they read the transcript of this <laughs> podcast. Until they read the transcript of the podcast. In which case, it'll just be noises. Okay. So uh, I was very not excited about the whole thing and feeling like it, I was going to be sort of bummed about it. And I think I came home actually sort of jazzed. Okay. Um, it is always... I, I, I know I say this every time, and I don't know why it's a surprise to me every time, except that maybe I'm just not that smart or something. But every single time when I have the experience of demoing and talking to people who are users, you know, it's the same as teaching, which is their enthusiasm, their excitement, their awe 
over things reinvigorates me in a serious way. So like even though I have used the Scan and Cut embossing kit 500 times, the number of people who came over and were like, what? It does what? That was so easy. What? How did it? Oh, what? You know, and they're so excited and really having their minds blown. I mean, that's awesome. I think that's right. And also there's the factor of uh, meeting other people, creative people, some new, but some old friends. There's that, which, which helps you feel like, oh, this is my community. Yeah. And that was the other thing, of course, is seeing people from all over and hearing everybody's tales from the road, from life, from whatever. And I I feel very alone a lot of the time because I work alone, because I am alone, because it's uh, 3.30. Because no one I'm, likes you. Right. no one likes me and it's 3.30 and I'm still in my pajamas. Um, you know, and that's can be a lonely existence but it was great to talk to so many people and to see that we had so many similar experiences because of course you know I keep up with my friends the way that everybody does on Instagram on you know social media occasional texts here and there but it isn't until you really have the conversation that you find out the parts of life that aren't public worthy you know and we're all in this slog together and that was a lovely thing to feel the solidarity and the friendship the kinship all that good ship kind of stuff. This has been a surprisingly nautical conversation thus far. Let's keep it up. So the <laughs> you also demoed briefly at Art Foamies and Crafters Workshop stencils. I did. So the most interesting thing in the Crafters Don't Workshop booth, sorry, the most surprising thing in the Crafters Workshop booth was that there were no scrapbook layouts. And previous to this, uh, last year was the first year I didn't do scrapbook layouts for the Crafters Workshop booth. This was the second year that I didn't do scrapbook layouts. But the amazing thing was that nobody else did either. Um, and I'm not sure if that's because people are scrapbooking less, because the stencil designers are no longer scrapbookers, because uh, there are so many stencil companies out there and people actually know what to do with stencils now. So you can do whatever you want and not have to kind of guide them through. I mean, I'm not sure why it is, but I thought that it was an intriguing fact. Uh, also, you know, demos were interest were not interesting. Demos were good. I, this woman came by and she just said to me, uh, I can't stencil. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you know, the whole thing with the sponge up and down and da, 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 I can't do it. And her friends were like, yeah, me too. It always ends up a mess, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, that's not, I said, that's not your fault. You're using the wrong stuff. And they kind of were like, what, what? You're using the wrong stuff. And so I grabbed a jar of extra fluffy molding paste. And I said to this woman, I said, okay, here's a palette knife. Here's a stencil. Here's a piece of paper. All I'm going to have you do is just wipe this, you know, extra fluffy white molding paste right through here. And she was just, just like that. I said, have you ever frosted a cake? She said, yeah. I said, go ahead. So she did it. I said, okay, now pull that stencil off. And boom, it was perfect because when you use that X, you know, that light and fluffy molding paste, it's so thick. There's just no way you can get leakage. I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to work at it to get leakage, right? And her face lit up and her friends wanted to see it. And she, and I was like, that's going to take 15 minutes to dry. You can leave it if you want. Or, and she's like, no, I'm going to take it with me. She was <laughs> that excited. Great. And it, 
it did remind me that we all tell ourselves these tales about things we can and can't do. I can't lose weight. I can't run a mile. I, which I, I tell myself that tale all the time. I definitely can't run a mile, but I suppose if a bear were chasing me, maybe. Um, but whatever it is. I would say <laughs> you don't want to. I don't want to run a mile. Uh, but whatever it is. And the thing is, I can't sing. I can't draw. I can't whatever. With a lot of things, it's practice. That's absolutely true. And other times it's you don't have the right tools or materials. This was a clear instance in which she was able to do it with a different tool, different material. You know, and that I was glad that she had, instead of just walking past the booth completely, you know, that's not for me, she had actually sort of stomped and said to me, oh, I can't do this, because that gave me the opportunity to prove her wrong and to change her mind. And all her friends who also were like, oh, that's great, that's exciting, you know what I mean? That's wonderful. Yeah, so that was a really great demo moment. Um, And then in the Art Foamies booth, people... I think this year actually kind of understood a little bit more what foam stamps were, but not that much. And I will also say that the booth was spectacularly hard to find. Spectacularly (laughs) hard. So they have a very small booth, right? They have a little 10 by 10 booth. They're a teeny company. They can't afford anything bigger. But the way that the booth was placed on the floor, it was by two or three very large expansive booths that took up more than a single aisle. So you sort of didn't understand that there was anything behind them. So they were a little bit hidden. So, you know, booth placement matters. As they say in real estate, location, location, location. Um, And then the the fun thing that I did for Art Foamies is the owner of the Art Foamies, Emmy, was very sick. And she had to do a pitch. And so she asked me if I would help her with her pitch. And I was delighted to come along and talk about why I love Art Foamies. And I will say... I've been told my whole life to talk slower, except in this pitch, you had 10 minutes, real time, 10 minutes. And the woman said to me, I thought no one spoke faster than I did. Good job. And I said, oh, okay, (laughs) thank you. Finally, my my fast moving mouth was good for me. Um, Did you want to say whom you were pitching? Yeah, so we pitched Hobbycraft, which is the largest online distributor in the UK, I believe. And they are going to carry... Uh, some of the art foamies for all you European people out there who've been looking for an easier way to get them than shipping out of Canada or the U.S. So that's a great option for you. And I will be sure to blog about it as soon as they land on Hobbycraft Online. So that's great news. Um, and we, By the way, I got an email today from someone. This just made me think about it, The uh, about the speaking so fast, who said that she wasn't trying to be mean but that I talk over the guests too much on Make It Artsy, thus ruining the experience for her. Um, so some people like the fast talking, some people don't. It just goes to show different strokes for different folks. It also sounds like you're interrupting because you're I talking am. over. I but am. I think you are hyper aware of the time constraints in each little segment i'm not excusing it but i'm trying to explain it that it seems to me that the different guests come on with different degrees of experience in terms of demonstrating on tv and sometimes 
you may feel, correct me if I'm wrong, you may feel that you're not going to be able to get everything in if you get stuck on one particular point. I would say that my job as the host is to interrupt them, which I've been told multiple times to do. Uh, and that one of the things I say to guests before they go on the show is I say, if you do not speak, I will speak over you. And okay. anytime you want to keep going, you just keep talking and I'll be quiet. A lot of times they get lost. I've got a producer in my ear talking. I've got, you know, whatever going on. I don't feel... This may be a jerky thing to say, but I'm okay. I stand behind it. I'm not afraid of being accused of interrupting. I actually think if there were an Olympic sport of interrupting, I could win a gold medal every single year. I think I've never been taught, and now I'm going to put the blame on you, that interrupting is rude. I think that when you're excited about something and you're sharing experience, I mean, we interrupt all the time in the podcast, and we do have guests. We do tell them to interrupt. I'm you glad know. you could bring it back to blaming me. I well, I know that the therapy clear. the therapy of this podcast is an important aspect. I think I think I never mind when people interrupt me. I never think it's rude. I interrupt people all the time. I know it's again, this is like the different strokes for different folks. I think that not everything is everybody's cup of tea. And it's the same as when I follow somebody on Instagram and I'm annoyed that you know, 25 of their 30 posts are selling things. I just unfollow them. I don't feel the need to write to them to say how they're ruining my life. All right. Losing another viewer. <laughs> Let's move on. So anything. Oh, uh, did you see anything new at Creativation? I know you. Uh, I know, you know at least one thing. I didn't have a ton of time to walk around the show floor. So I'm not sure that I really caught a whole bunch of new stuff. I did ask people what they had seen that was new. Some people said that they had seen, I guess, Faber-Castell has put some pigments into tea bags. And they've been doing some variations on tea bag dyeing, basically, with, or tea, you know, tea dye stuff, but with colors and yada yada. So I want to go scoping on YouTube for some of that. The Brother Booth had a fun new product called the Pea Touch Embellish. It is a like their like their P touch machine that prints. Uh, this prints, however, onto ribbon and decorative tape. So super fun idea, and people seem to really like it at the show and feel like the price point was good. So that was nice to see. There are a lot of new designs for stuff, obviously, that I've seen. Um, there was a sewing machine that we are memory keepers had that sews using baker's twine instead of thread. Hmm. It, they they didn't have a working machine. It was a mock-up prototype because I guess it's not quite ready yet. So I didn't really get to see it in action, but I'm very curious as to, I assume it's just a giant needle and that's why it sews with the baker's twine. But wow. And I even covered the sneeze. microphone with my hand. You should have. Well, there was like a long sort of fart sound and then the sneeze. Excuse me. <laughs> that was me covering the microphone with my hand. I'm just saying. It's okay if you need to sneeze. You are human. I understand that. Um, but I'm not sure what else I saw that was new. Did you, I mean, did you see No, anything? I was. No. Um, and the show was much smaller than it has been in the past, which actually in a way was a plus. Mm. Uh, because I actually got a feel for 
the whole show. There was more sewing than there has been in the past. Yes, there was some, a bit more sewing, but, and I think that was a deliberate push. My understanding is that CHA or not CHAI, what is it? The damn, it's AFCI wanted to push that. And I, oh, the other thing, I just want to give a a shout out to my friend Dina uh, Wakely, who came out with uh, an art journal, which has uh, all sorts of pages in it, like burlap and fabric and stuff like that. Really nice binding on it. And also her scribble sticks, which are water soluble uh, crayons. So I think those are two fun things that she came out with that are totally in her Dina signature style. Okay, and uh, if there's nothing more about creativation, which will continue to be in Phoenix for the next few years, we can move on to what's happened since you've come home. What has happened since I've come home? Um, I So I went to the MFA, the Museum, Museum of, of Fine Arts. Arts here in Boston. Mom, you just interrupted me. I'm, I'm very sorry. offended. Uh, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Um, and then, uh, so I went there for planning. two. I went there for two purposes. So the first purpose was I went there to help plan the scavenger hunt night. So there's this big, there's this night called game night that they do every year. And this year we're changing it up a little bit. I'm on the events committee, so that what happens at game night this night will be this kind of cool. Uh, Instagram story hunt where you have to take pictures or video of there are a hundred things on a list and if you know the person people who come in with the most the teams that come in with the most on their Instagram story win the prize uh, and I think it's I think it's gonna be really fun so what we were looking around for was what are the clues to give people and so I was there with one of the curators from the MFA and her goal in get doing the scavenger hunt is to get people to know the museum so she wants to do these really like esoteric deep thought things that force people to read the signs to come up with the answers i'm in trouble i know and my goal in creating the clues is to get people to run around posting fun pictures on social media that get more people to want to come to the museum so you can imagine that as the two of us are going around trying to come up with clues we're we're on like different sides of the planet In terms of what we think will be clues. But the good news is because I think we believe in collaboration and that, you know, everyone should have a voice and all that kind of stuff. We were like, well, how about if we do a third of them sort of difficult curatorial, a third of them kind of fun action involved, a third of that, you know, trying to make it so that everybody can play and everybody can have something and that actually the event could do both those things and not just one or the other. When you say action involved, you have to find the piece and then you have to do something in relation to it. Yeah, so mine is stuff like find the portrait of Monet's wife and pose with it, you know, as she does or something like that. Or it's, you know, there's a Botero, you know, stick out your belly with the Botero or whatever it is. Botero, by the way, for people who don't know, very Rubenesque figure. So stick out your belly is like a, you know. Um, and she, her clues are more along the lines of, and by the way, you're cheating if you come to the MFA and you already know these clues. Um, but no, her, her stuff is more like, uh, find the, you know, how many animal, how many, uh, animal remains can you find in the Egyptian, 
something something room. gallery yeah, yeah. Okay. you know you have to go around and actually find all the animal or like what year what kind of laser did they use to do the restoration of the tomb of blah, 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 blah. And you can find it on the sign. But first you have to find the thing. Then you have to find the sign. Then you have to you know, read it. Then you have to, you know. So, so I think it's a good mix because I want people to act like idiots. And she wants people to become educated. And together, perhaps. Together, they are educated idiots. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Sounds like fun. And yeah. the other thing at the museum that you did? So the other thing is, so the reason, so we had the meeting before this uh, lecture that we all went to on, so the curator of Making Modern came to speak. Now, I had thought that Making Modern was an exhibit, meaning it has a series of paintings, right? It's an exhibit. There's an exhibit catalog, blah, blah, blah. But as it turns out, Making Modern is a gallery because she talked about all the different things they've been changing in and out of the gallery and what's coming. And suddenly I had this moment where I where I realized it wasn't a static thing, but they were trying to explore modern art in this gallery. Now, having been completely and utterly spoiled by living, you know, three blocks from MoMA for 10 years or the Museum of Modern Art in New York... They have, you know, essentially one floor, which is maybe four or five galleries. It's like five galleries, I think. Maybe six. Uh, of small galleries that have modern art. You know, it's an inter- it's not interesting. It's a it's a comparison. Uh, that's not necessarily flattering to the MFA, but they do have a number of things there that I like very much. But one of the things they talked about is they have this gallery, which is Pollock and Picasso. And one of the features of the gallery is these YouTube videos of Picasso and Pollock side by side, not in real life. The videos are side by side of them both painting on glass because they were painting at the same time. And the two videos were made in about the same year. But two very different styles. And so they have a they have some Picassos and some Pollocks in this room, two of the greats of the modern art era. And they were saying that as they're moving stuff through, they're having some problems, which is they just don't have enough Jackson Pollocks. They have some works on paper, but they just don't have a number and they don't have any really large, any of his really large strip paintings and stuff like that. And I thought that was. It was a surprising confession to me from a museum to make. I was glad that she said it, and it made me understand that one of the things that must be frustrating as a curator is to want to explore an idea or a concept, but to not have the resources to do that. Yes. And also that you are incredibly spoiled, as you say, because you were living next to the Museum of Modern Art, which is the premier collection. Yes. So everything is going to be slightly less. Yes. Wherever you go. It's absolutely true. I mean, they say there are five great museums in the world. It's the Met, MoMA, the Prado or El Prado in uh, Spain, the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, Russia, and the Louvre, or Louvre, or however you say it in actual <laughs> French, uh, in Paris. So um, I would say very, 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 very spoiled. Uh, right. Spoiled, rotten, and happy about it. But the good news is I, I got to see, I got to hear a lot about why they made the choices they did, why they picked the particular artist they did to feature. So 
Um, Marsden Hartley is not an artist that I knew almost anything about, but he has a big section. There's an artist with the last name Do Dove or Dove. I can't remember how you pronounce it, but it looks like the bird, D-O-V-E, who ha they have a large collection. And I was reminded, of course, that uh, just like when we went to um, SF MoMA or San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and their collection, ha they have a ton of um, Calder Mobiles. Mobiles and other work that's basically based on private collection donations. And I am so reminded, the same with the Salvador Dali Museum and all this stuff, which is so many, so much of what people see, depending on the museum near them, is based on one person's particular quirks or likes or what they happen to have in their collection or what they bought, you know. So I was super glad to be introduced to a selection of other modern artists they do Franz Klein is one of my favorites favorite favorite favorites I love his work it's very calligraphic in fact he has a whole series of these large-scale mostly black and white paintings that are actually based on like an enlargement of letters in the phone book so they're so abstracted you can't tell that they're letters but that's where he's getting some of these huge brushstrokey forms um, and they have one Franz Klein, it's beautiful, hanging in their gallery, and they very nicely paired it with a sculpture by another artist whose name is escaping me at the moment because I have early onset Alzheimer's, or it wasn't important enough to me to remember one of those. Um, but it is, it reflects so much that painting. It's a really nice pairing, and that's the same thing with like the Picasso and Pollock. And so what I like that they're doing so much is they're, they're, they're having, they're having modern art talk to other modern art. There's a Marsden Hartley uh, portrait of Lincoln, which for just a moment, and perhaps because it's right next to some of the um, German expressionist, expressionist art, you know, it really, you think it might be German expressionist, you know, it's right next to, um, come on, the name is at the tip of my tongue. It's right there. I, uh, Beckman. It's right next to two Max Beckman pictures. And for a moment, I thought it might be a Beckman uh, portrait of Lincoln, but it's not. Okay, well, I want to see this. Yeah, because it's just a reminder that art, art, art influences other art, and artists all over the world touch each other. And artists who may be known for one style have actually worked often in other styles as ex explorations. And that it's the same as those two cubist paintings that hang in MoMA, right next to each other, of uh, Picasso and Brock, where they're almost identical, right? even though they were painting in two different countries, you know, but they had been communicating letters. They knew what they were going towards. And it's the idea that we all sort of touch and influence, influence each other. All right. True story. Let's, let's talk about uh, your blog anniversary, which is just over, which is your celebration of 10 years of blogging. And you took the entire month of January for this blog anniversary. Yeah, you know, at first I was thinking that I would just sort of like mention, hey, I've been blogging for 10 years. Here are some things I learned. But then I thought, you know, I have I have such a nice population of people who may be new to me or who may have been around for years and not remembered or who may, you know, why not share some of the good stuff out of the archives and remind people that all this stuff is there and one of the 
great and tragic things about the internet is that everything gets saved. So let's talk about some of the things you discovered and some of the things you did. Um, so one of the things that I discovered is that I am a much better photographer than I now. used to be. <laughs> yes. Um, I am still the same person that I ever was, which is to say reading old posts full of advice or reading, um, you know, things like that. All that stuff is advice that either I have taken or ought to take at this point, or it's still my voice. It's still the stuff I believe in. Sometimes I'm advanced past it, or I'm more sophisticated than that, or I've learned from it already. But it was nice to confirm that the germs of who I am were there all along. And I assume whoever I will be in 10 years is here right now, for better or for worse. And by the way, when you started blogging, did did you have an iPhone? Did the iPhone exist? No, iPhone did not exist at all. I'm think I think um I'm trying to think. I So did you have to take every photograph yeah, with a camera? Yeah, one of the reasons I got a DSLR camera was to take nice photos for my blog. At the time, but it also that was means one of the excuses. You wouldn't be carrying it around with you everywhere, so you wouldn't right. be able to take the kind of spontaneous photos that you later right. could take. I mean, there was a lot more personal sharing of my life early in the blog, partially because I was a scrapbooker at that time. And of course, as you share scrapbook layouts about your life, you are essentially sharing that event with other people. Um, but... You know. I assume you had to make a decision, which was, do I show the old photos which show, A, that I weighed a lot more, or B, has pictures of me and my husband, uh, things that Well, you... here's the way I feel about it, because people I... often ask, you know, about a lot of that stuff, and I think that everything that happens to you in your life is you and so I know I've gotten I think I've talked about this on the podcast before where I've gotten some weird comments from people where they feel that the much fatter version of me isn't me but the truth of the matter is I spent most of my life as a much fatter version of me and so that to me when I see those pictures it doesn't feel like a different person it's still me it's absolutely me and I don't have any shame about that I was never ashamed of being who I was and there are plenty of times that I felt beautiful and I felt special and I felt all those things you know when I was toppling in at more than 300 pounds and I think that um, the same is true which is obviously I got divorced you know and I think the thing is but the fact is I didn't I did marry someone I did love him at the time I did you know that being married to him was an important part of my life and I think that sharing those old posts, I mean, they're still out there. And I'm I'm not a person who's ever gone through social media to go ahead and delete out, you know, this person from my life to pretend they were never there. I think that when you can embrace all the stuff that has happened to you, who you were, where you've been, it's much better than if you try to pretend, you know, I just woke up like this. Well... I think that's uh, 
But I think a good decision. I, I do. I think decision. that's consistent with the way you are too. And I also think which, you see it in my vlog, for instance, which is so my video blog, right? When you see my vlog once a week, I mean, there are plenty of video, there's video of me in my jammies. There's video of me with my glasses and with my hair up. You know, there's video of me literally lying in bed. I mean, I just try to think of it as like I am a I am a whole real person and mm -hmm. I did not just wake up this way and my house is a flipping mess all the time and one of my favorite quotes on earth is that quote you know the hair the bed the life it's all messy but pretty fascinating yeah definitely. why don't you talk then about uh if you're done with the blog anniversary yeah. talk about the new classes you haven't had new classes in a couple of years and now suddenly you have several planned yeah so you're talking about new online classes which i know has been an ongoing thing where you've said to me and other people have said to me i wish you'd have new online classes i wish you'd have new online classes and i just haven't gotten my act together with the new online classes because I've been so busy with other stuff, but I finally decided it was time to get it done. So um, coming first day of class, I believe, is March 31st. So it's a little ways away, but I wanted to announce it to give people plenty of time. Um, after Carb December, people, you know, love all of the pattern stamps that I create both the rotating repeat stamps and lots of other kinds. And I wanted to do a class and I, that was a little bit different than the kind of content you find in my book. So if you get my book, Carve Stamp Play, you find out the technical information on how you do it, you know. But I really wanted the online class to be a master class in design, really thinking about those positive and negative shapes and how you um, – how you think about design, what makes an impactful design, you know, what are the things, try to break down sort of a lot of things I do by instinct and by experience now of having carved these kinds of stamps for a long time, I can sort of tell you what's going to make a good stamp and what's going to be a little weaker from all that experience. So that's the real focus of this class. It's not really a stamp carving class. I mean, obviously there is stamp carving in it, but one of the things I say about the classes as a prerequisite, you have to be able to already know how to carve a stamp um, because the focus again is on design. Let's, let's technically design them and then let's artistically talk about how to make the design sing. This is going to make you uh learn how to talk about things that you do instinctively it's going to make you learn something too in making this class yeah well one of the first videos that I worked on actually was a printing video because one of the questions I get the most during Carve December every December is how do you print those stamps why are your prints do your prints look like that how do you line them up and I, I mean, the the answer that I've always given and is always true is, I don't know, I just sort of do it. So I was like, okay, <laughs> that's not helpful to anyone. Let's try to actually break down the printing process. Like how how does that work? What makes it work? What are some tips that anybody can do to make it be better for them? So if people want to see what kind of design things you're talking about, they could go 
on Instagram to the hashtag Carve December. Yeah, they can. They can go to the Bulger Designs classroom and they can click on the designing patterns um, thing and they can see some of the stamps that I'm talking about. I will put up a video probably at the end of February that has some little clips from the class um, and talks a little bit about it to design, um, you know, what's happening. But I think it's going to be really good. I'm really excited about how it's shaping up so far. And just to be commercial for a moment, if people wanted to, don't feel comfortable with stamp carving and they want to do stamp carving 101 and then move on to this new class, you're offering a package I'm price offering right a spectacular now. deal where you get 50% off Stamp Carving 101 if you sign up as a package deal. So Stamp Carving 101 is just $25 if you sign up for a package. So pretty good and deal. And you could start that now. And you can start that now so that you're ready. By the time class starts, you're a carving genius. What's the name of the new class? Uh, it's be? called Stamp Carving Designing Patterns. Okay. So there's that. And then I do have some new in-person classes I'm teaching in Connecticut at Papercraft Clubhouse. It's a really lovely store that I've been at before with a great owner, Tracy Larson, and great group of ladies there. That's actually where I met um, Gwen LaFleur, who was one of the people who did one of my blog tutorial redos. I think she's a super talented artist, and she came to class all the way from Chicago, actually, to Connecticut for that. Um, And that's where I met her and why I started following her on Instagram and stuff. So I always like teaching because I think you meet people who are sort of, um, you have good kinship with. There's a good spirit, you know, and you never would have found them if it hadn't been for that moment of connection. I mean, my assistant, I remembered her when uh, Suzanne interviewed with me. I remembered her from class that she had taken with me and stuff like that. I think some people just who have a like spirit, you sort of meet them in class, which is always nice. But I'm teaching three classes for her. Um, One of them is uh, a class that's kind of a throwback class. I used to teach it, then I took it out of my rotation, and it's back in with some twists, which is a foam stamp class where we're going to make our own foam stamps, which I'm excited about. I obviously am a big fan of foam stamps, and I have some fun little ideas for different ways of making foam stamps, including foam pattern stamps. Um, And then I'm teaching Jelly Plus Deli, which is always one of my most popular classes. And it's really great for people even who are experienced with gelatin printing because I have a registration technique that I teach that really makes it easy to get intentional prints. So you can create these really cool layers of collage and paint and it's really, really neat stuff. And then the final class I'm teaching is the uh, pamphlet style art journal, which is, it's a great class for a lot of reasons, but one of my favorite is people are always like, what am I going to walk out with? And I was like, and you know, most of the time I'm saying, well, you're going to walk out with a great time, which you are, obviously, and a ton of techniques because most of my classes tend to be technique and not project-based, but this is definitely a project class. So you are going to walk out with an almost completed art journal. So we work on all these loose pages and then we bind them together into this pamphlet-style art journal. And if you're afraid of binding, this is this is like the easiest binding technique on earth. Super duper easy. And then I show you how to work in the journal once it's together because it is a little bit different than when the pages are all out. 
Um, and we, it, it's kind of fun and magical because you just don't have to face that blank page and you have, it's very personal kind of stuff. So I like it. Do you want to tell people the dates? I would love to, if I could remember them, it's the first weekend in March. Is that March okay. three, three through five, I think something like that. So it's a Friday night, a Saturday and a Sunday. I'll be staying overnight. You can too. Um, and I'm actually going to be in New York just before that to go to MoMA. There's a Picabia exhibit that I'm desperate to see before it closes. My friend Nat told me that it is one of the best exhibits she's ever seen. So I'm super jealous and I have to go. Plus there's just food that I have to eat in New York. You know, sometimes that's really important. <laughs> and you're also going to do YouTube space with your brother. Yes, I am. I'm excited. So, uh, as, so YouTube space is a wonderful tool that exists out there in the world. I've never really had a reason to use it before, but my brother is convinced that we can do some fun stuff for my vlog using the YouTube space. So you should, uh, you should see what kind so I, I don't understand any of the camera equipment that he's booked out. Thank God he actually has like a MFA and uh, directing and writing and whatever else. So he actually knows what he's doing. But um, we're going to see what we can put together. I think it's going to be a fun day. I'll be sure to obviously share pictures and video and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm sure we'll talk about it on the podcast afterwards. Okay. And today we're actually... Recording on a Wednesday, and Wednesday's the day the new vlog goes up. So after we finish talking, I'm going to go and see this week's vlog, which Good is time. also on YouTube. It is, and I was going to say, actually, what I thought you were going to say is that after this podcast, I'm picking you up because we are going to the Harvard Art Museums for a lecture on Winslow Homer's painting. Which painting is it? It's called... Um... Oh, now you've got me. I know. It's a painting that they have been given... Uh, as a uh, on a loan, and they're going to have three different uh, people speak about it. I and then we can get to go into the gallery and actually see it. So I love I'm the idea of having that. three different curators talk about it because I am a big. The problem is when you learn from one curator, you get their perspective on it, which may be something you agree with and maybe something you don't agree with. Whereas it's, when you get to hear from three, you kind of get that whole different feelings, different strokes for different folks. The painting is Winslow Homer's Summer Night. Okay. If that's helpful to anyone. Oh, now I know what painting, I have no idea what painting that is. But I'm excited to find out about it. And, oh, do you want to talk about, you had a a weekend doing some random antiquing in Maine. Yeah. And I thought you had some things to say about that too. I do. Well, I, I want to say first that people often ask me if I went to art school and the answer is no. And the answer to why I either know things about art history or I know things about art materials is because with art history, just like I was saying, I went to this lecture on making modern. I'm going to this thing about Winslow Homer and I'm taking advantage of all those things. So I'm learning things in bits by bits. I just bought a bunch of art books when I was up in Maine on this little antiquing trip when we wandered into a used books, you know, shop. Um, and I got a ton of art books, so I'm reading my way through lots of that kind of stuff. And, you know, with art supplies, it's trying things, it's reading things, it's all that kind of stuff. So just remembering that 
you don't need the formal education. I think it's great and wonderful if you have the luxury of getting it, but you don't need it. You can sort of cobble it together out of other stuff. Anyway, so yes, the antiquing was fantastic and fun. I love junk shops or antique shops, so I guess that's more flattering. Um, and in the eye around. of the beholder. It's all in the eye of the beholder. Because I love the idea of treasures and I love also collections. So oftentimes what you'll see, especially in the kind of uh, like antique barn stalls, is that each individual person who is selling stuff has sort of a kind of stuff that they like to collect. So this is all milk glass and this is all, you know, children's stuff and this is all books and this is all whatever it is. And it's fun to see what what somebody else makes into a collection, you know? And then I myself, you know, think about what am I looking for? I'm looking for things that I can use in craft projects. You know, there are all these buttons on uh, cards and I immediately was like, oh, you could put a frame around this and then it's art. Or are they cheap enough to use them in making jewelry? Or, you know, if I'm looking through old photographs and stuff and I'm thinking, you know, who are these people and can I tell imaginary stories about them and all that kind of stuff. Or my father is a collector of, of optical toys and magic lanterns. So I'm looking and occasionally I'll see something related to that. And that makes me think of that. Or I, I think I sent you a picture and ended up buying you some silverware because the pattern matched the silverware that you use. Exactly. It's actually uh silver that I inherited from your, from my, uh, from your grandmother mm-hmm. on your father's side. And she had acquired it by, I think it was in the 40s, going to movie theaters every week. And they would give you one piece of the silverware as a way of getting you into the theater. So it's not actually silver. I think it's silver plated. And I've seen it other places. But there was this round, bold soup spoon that you found and there were eight of them, and I don't have that shape. So thank you very much. It was a lovely See? gift from Nana you. Nana did not go to the movies enough to get all the silverware. <laughs> I actually have an old set of encyclopedias that I bought by going to the food store every week. Of course, no one uses an encyclopedia well, no, I remember anymore. when you got them when I was little, and because I remember we were so excited to get the encyclopedias into the house, and every week you went to the grocery store and you were like, I have to get, you know, this is, this is the week they're giving away N. Right. You can't miss M through O. Right. <laughs> that's, that's kind of I a problem. I have everything but M through O. Exactly. Right. So I think there's lots of fun stuff like that. And I think that to me, the idea of treasure hunting is not that different from when you paint something and you're trying to get the painting to talk to you and bring out its story, its soul, whatever that is, because it's the same kind of hunting. You're, there's a mess of little, you know, in my case, it's usually an intense mess of figures and strokes and uh, pattern and all kinds of stuff. And then you sort of pull out or tease out something from that mess of junk, right? Same idea, same process, just just a little bit different. Okay, and finally, I'm looking forward next week or next time we have a blog to talking about you're taking a class. You have a friend coming to visit you this weekend, and you're taking a class 
want to oh, yeah, I'm briefly mention that. Oh, yeah, I'm super excited. Okay, so I'm super excited. I have wanted to do paper marbling forever. And I have bought paper marbling books. And I have looked at paper marbling videos. And I, just like everyone else out there, when I get the when I get the texts and stuff that say, or the emails that say, I'm too chicken to start, I feel you on that. Because I've just been too chicken to start. I'm like, am I going to get it wrong? Am I not going to put the right chemicals in? Am I going to da-da-da-da? Whatever. I feel like I'm going to mess it up. So when I discovered that there was a person near me who taught paper marbling workshops in her home to four students, I was like, I am all in on this one. So I stalked her site because I think I discovered her maybe last November-ish and her class was sold out in like that time period and then she had a January class that was sold out and like I finally she opened up a February class and I was like I'm in I'm taking it so uh, a friend of mine announced that she was coming to visit and I was like oh any chance that you want to take a paper modeling workshop and she was like uh I guess so and I was like great I bought you a (laughs) ticket we're going so not much of not much of a choice there for her, but I'm super excited about it. I can't wait. I think this will be a wonderful hole to go down. I'm excited to explore some things, I'm sure. One of the things that was really exciting to me about this particular class is she provides all the supplies. So I literally just have to show up. With, and I think lunch is even provided. It's like a 10 to 4 class. I just literally have to show up with myself. And probably a notebook and an iPhone. And an apron. And an apron, maybe. I don't even know. It doesn't even say bring an apron. I would probably bring one just in case. But, I I mean, I think she really has a setup for four people to learn. And you each get, she says, your own bath. So you get to actually, like, I'm just really excited to make some awesome papers, learn the process, and then decide whether or not I want to invest the time, the money, the space in having my own setup. Because from what I can tell from the videos and the books, it's actually quite a bit of setup. Hmm. Which is why everybody's not just like casually paper marbling. Well, I look forward to seeing what you produce and hearing about your adventures. If you're lucky, I'll show you. Thank you. Do you feel lucky? Do you, punk? Do you? Do you? <laughs> anyway, okay, so it's going to be a good week, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Anything else, Mom? Not a thing. Fantastic. So, as always, you can find me at ballsdesigns.typepad.com, and do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. Mm-hmm.